0: we've been talking about uh, difficult cultural topics. As I've uh, talked with you over the past um, year and hearing some of your feedback, and uh, I haven't been on social media very much, but I've heard enough about it and what people are posting on there that, you know, it has uh, caused us to have uh, some responses to that and a lot of questioning. And uh, I wanna be careful this morning as we talk about politics, that uh, I'm not just on a soapbox, uh, and that I'm not just like trying to uh, use my platform for my own opinions or to uh, somehow even begin to say that all that I say is somehow objective. You know, there are things that I say, obviously, that are subjective because I am me and I do my best to interpret scripture and I do my best to respond, but I'm also a fallen person just like you are. <clears throat> so I want to go over just a quickly just three questions uh, that I've heard over this past year that people have texted me in our community asking me, uh, also people outside of our community, friends of mine and so forth, asking my opinion, my thoughts on something. These are the three questions that I think um, in a lot of ways may summarize what we've all kind of been experiencing too. Uh, Here's probably the number one question I've gotten over this past year, uh, maybe past couple of years actually, is uh, how can you be a Christian and vote for Donald Trump? I've gotten the question so many times, like, okay, now let's tell me how how in the world can you be a Christian and have voted or continue to vote or support Donald Trump? Uh, people have talked about, and you've obviously read about this too, his personal life, his character, his political policies, whether it's immigration, uh, whether uh, his personal views when it comes to uh, other ethnicities. Um there's a lot there. And initially, I rarely will respond to that because I just try to understand really what the question is really about. Uh, here's another question I've gotten over this past year, really couple years again, is how can you be a Christian and vote for a Democrat, any Democrat, uh, who could be, you know, on their platform pro-choice or pro um, gay marriage or emphasize big government, and in, in a lot of ways, people asking that question, see those as values that aren't Christian values. Uh, I can remember being in college and that was actually the bigger question. I, you know, I've told you before, I went to a college in Texas, I'm from Texas. And at my college, it was kind of like, man, if, if you're not voting Republican, how can you be a Christian kind of thing? And I've had that, you know, kind of processed that over the years. Uh, In this past year as a nation, the political divide became even more apparent uh, and even more heated through these protests we've had, Uh, the pandemic um, and how to respond to that became a political response and not just based on medicine and science, right? Uh, And then also the many cases of police brutality uh, that have happened and ones that have been highlighted that weren't highlighted previously. Uh, Many of you like I watched the storming of the of the Capitol by um, by rioters, you know, around the in in terms of the election, uh, and then we saw the reaction to it uh, from the news media, from your reaction, and maybe a reaction of people, friends of yours, on social media. So it's evidence that this has become uh, a big division in our country, and as a pastor, I consider uh, as my church divided because it's a pandemic and we haven't been able to be together and for me to really talk to you and gather and get groups to be together and discuss and have healthy conversations. I I mean, I don't know. Um, I know that, you know, from some of the comments I hear, there's probably some division going on and later on in this series, we're gonna talk about division and uh, Jason's gonna help me with that one. Uh, Here's another one that I've heard and maybe this is, maybe this is the hardest one in ways. It's this question is, how can I still be friends with someone who I found out their political views or values are just frankly reprehensible to me. It seemed like over this past year, year and a half, two years, three years, four years, um, people's views and values became way more public. And so you're going to work with somebody or you're friends with somebody or you're in church community with somebody or a family member maybe, and you find out all these views, and you're shocked. You're like, "Whoa!" And then it turns into like, "Wait a second. How can I even like hang out and talk about the weather together when I really don't like these things?" And it elicits something, a response inside of me. Uh, so those three questions, I think, uh, it's kind of what I want to bring some pastoral guidance to. Uh, I'm your pastor, right? And if you're watching this, I'm not your pastor. I'd love to be your pastor one day, but, um, you know, my guidance as a pastor is, uh, typically going to be within a relational framework. It's going to be within the framework of loving God and loving other people. Cause I really believe that that's what life boils down to. And as my, as a follower of Christ for years and before I became a pastor, obviously, uh, that really was my goal in life. And really today it is still the same way. Um, How do I love God with whatever's going on in my life or this world or in my own heart? Uh, And how do I love people around me with whatever's going on in this world in my heart? Uh, It's not easy, it's a challenge. And so uh, I want to give you uh, just three things to give you uh, some guidance on responding to. those kind of questions. How can you be a Christian a Christian, and vote for Trump? How can you be a Christian and vote for a Democrat or Biden or anybody else previously? How can you still be friends with someone who you find out their political views are just like awful to you and you just really disagree with that? I don't know that I'm going to resolve things for you today. I don't know that's my job. Uh, I want to call you to Jesus. I'm going to call you to repentance. I'm going to call you to awareness. And that's always kind of been my thing. And so That's what I'm going to do this morning, and so I hope you receive this. And I'd love to have a follow-up conversation with you. I'm available for a phone call or uh, a text or something. We can talk about these things, and hopefully today I'll be kind of vulnerable and open with my own positions in some ways as well. Um, So, first of all, uh, I just want to read this uh, passage of Scripture. um, Common one, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13 through 16, Matthew 5. Uh, verses 13 through 16. And this is one of my favorite passages. Um, this is Jesus teaching. Uh, he's teaching kind of like this this verse, this passage is kind of set within this whole kind of new framework for Jesus uh, explaining how to live and how to live in this world. And it's very, very radical in a lot of ways. And uh, so this passage is something we, you know, I'm sure you've heard sermons on and so forth. I'm going to kind of bring it up in, in this discussion this morning. Uh, so Matthew chapter five verses thirteen through sixteen. Okay, this is what Jesus says to uh, these people that would not be highlighted in society or, or elevated. He says, "He says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Uh, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men." Verse fourteen: You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And so they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. Uh, I want to read that passage this morning and bring it to your attention. Uh, In regards to this first thing that I want to share with you, and that's this is uh, I'm asking you, church. And this could help guide you. I'm asking you to reevaluate the priority of your political views, slash values, same difference, I'll inter- interchangeable word there. Reevaluate the priority of your political views uh, in your relationship within your relationship to God and others. I want you to re- reevaluate the priority it has, okay, uh, in your relationship to God and others. Jesus calls us to say, listen, you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth. And what he was talking about there wasn't your power to vote, frankly. Uh, He's saying you're the salt, you're the light, because you know him, because you've received his love, and because you are a witness of hope, you're a witness of love, you're a model of love. Uh, we're the ones that point people to Jesus, the ultimate healer, the ultimate King, the ultimate One that can free us. So I'm asking you, as you consider those questions, as within yourself, how can I love this person? Not going to be friends with this person who, I just, stuff they say that just so off. I, I just can't go with that. Would you at least reevaluate your own priority? Uh, in your life and your relationship to God and others that your political views have. Uh, I'm going to say this, and this is maybe a soapbox thing, and maybe it's biblical theology. I don't know. Uh, It is kind of biblical theology. I, I think we put too much hope in voting. I think we put too much hope in a vote. Our hope should be most in the sovereignty of God. I think that our hope should be most in his timeline. Uh, I think we should love our enemies uh, with radical love more than how much we put on voting. Uh, This is not just a soapbox thing, okay? Matthew 5, Jesus says some radical things. And in the face of living in an unjust world, which he lived in, Roman Empire and that culture. Uh, Jesus doesn't overthrow the government. Um, He doesn't say not to vote, but I'm saying that uh, it's a priority thing. And I'm concerned as your pastor that your priority in the place in which you have your political views, your political party, uh, and so forth in your vote, we elevate that way beyond something more important, which is being the light of the world by loving our enemies. And that, my brothers and sisters, is really, really important. Uh, So let me be vulnerable here. Well, not vulnerable, transparent. I did not vote for Donald Trump, okay? I also did not vote for Joe Biden. Uh, I have not voted for, uh, in the presidential election since 2004. I was 22 in seminary, I believe. And uh, at that time, George Bush was, uh, his election was happening and maybe it was re-election, I guess. And um, I just remember in that season, just being open and prayerful, coming out again out of a environment which was so pro-Republican. And if you don't vote Republican, you're not Christian. And, you know, all these handing out platform cards of how you should vote kind of thing. I'm just like surrounded by that. But I want to, as I stepped away from that a little bit, I just had some, some sacred space. And in my, this is not what I'm telling you, this is me. In my prayer time and my seeking and my reflection, uh, I felt God lead me to recognize the incredible division that voting for pre- the president uh, of our of our country can create. It was in 2004 in which I just felt that I do not want my vote for a political party or a uh, candidate for president to be that which becomes a stumbling block for someone to hear the gospel from me or for someone to see the gospel through me. I did not want someone to reject my message of Jesus or or the light of the world by my vote. This is me not you i'm just saying in a transparent way that i felt led by god to actually not vote uh in the presidential election that was in 2004. so here i am in 2020 when the next election you know we or, or the second ter- term possibly for donald trump was around and i just realized over this past year thinking wow uh i could have never imagined how divisive a vote for the president could have been Back in 2004, when I felt like I just need to obey God in this, I've told a couple people my view on this. Very few. I've never said it publicly at church that I don't vote in the presidential election because of division. Because I'm going to elevate love and I'm going to elevate the message, and I don't want obstacles to the message of Jesus. Okay. I get some negative response to that, that I'm not doing my dutiful right as a citizen and as a believer. And I just agree to disagree uh, on that one. Uh, So I want you to know where I stand on that, Um, and I do it for these priorities. But I also don't, like, not vote in our presidential election and then, like, do nothing. Like, listen, I'm trying to live my life and to love my enemies and to do all these things. So it's not like I'm somehow saying, oh, I'm not going to do anything for those that are around me, okay? You may disagree with me on that, but I felt like I should be transparent this morning and tell you uh, where I stand. And I did not vote, and I will not vote in presidential elections as long as Jesus leads me in that way. Okay. Uh, the second thing I want to say in regards to this same kind of thing about reevaluating your priority of political views and values in, in, in the framework of your relationship to God and others is uh, can you be a Christian and vote for Trump? Can you be a Christian and vote for Biden? Uh, yes, you absolutely can. That's the short answer. Uh, the long answer is this uh, my brothers and sisters, being a Christian isn't about a set of behaviors, and being a Christian isn't about who you vote and don't vote for, and if you've gotten that from me, I'm sorry. Um, That's not what Christianity is. So I questioned the question, actually, uh, on that one. Of course, you can be a Christian and vote for Trump or Biden, or be a BLM supporter, or, or not be a BLM supporter, or in these other political things that have come up, build a wall, not build a wall, immigration things, all these things. Uh, in the same way, you can be a believer and be a U.S. citizen in a country in which its wars will, by default, by accident, but it will uh, cost the lives of innocent bystanders, women, children, whoever you think is innocent. It happens. How can I be a Christian and still live in a nation that was founded on the genocide of Native, Native Americans? How can I be a Christian and uh, live in a world, uh, live in a nation in which was uh, uh, built upon slavery and the, the backs of slaves? I'm from Texas. There are streets. My parents live on a street uh, called Plantation Lane. Okay, this is all around me growing up. Um, how can I live here? I'm gonna go somewhere. Well, my point is, we live in a broken world. You're broken too, and. Being a Christian isn't about this whole list of things. I can't give you a list of who to vote for, what to do, what not to do, what to do in response. I can't do those things biblically. I just don't see that in Scripture that I can do that for you as a leader um, and as your pastor. Uh, Listen, I can point you to this. Being a Christian is believing in jesus as lord and his sacrifice of giving his life for you uh, was enough for you to be washed cleansed freed and to be reconciled and back in relationship with him that's what being a christian is um i know that there are things that we think christians shouldn't and shouldn't do but where does it end and sometimes at some point we all have our subjective list of what that list is and i want to caution you and call you back what really believe being a believer is is believing in jesus and uh you know at some point i can't give you that list and you know maybe you have yours and i just want to caution you to be careful to as you keep try to keep people to that list okay uh, uh bible sp- scripture pretty clear on this is paul right writes- it's not through our works, it's by grace, it's by faith, right, that we're saved. It's not the work of mine, it's the work of another. And we believe in the resurrection. And so through that, we are healed. Um, even John 3, 16, right? That Jesus sent his one and only son for us, that whoever believes in him will have an eternal life. I don't want to tell you, church, being a Christian is about belief. And thank God for the grace of God over my list of behaviors that do not cut it, okay? Jesus' incarnational model was that of coming to those who opposed him, uh, to us, to sinners, Uh, But yet, we have a hard time doing that to someone who voted for someone of the opposite party. So we have elevated ours and others' political views above loving them. And I call you as my brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus who believe in Jesus, to reevaluate the priority you've placed of your political values and views in your relationship to God and to others. Secondly, hopefully I haven't lost you yet, secondly my pastoral guidance for you today, as you try to have some healthy conversations with people who disagree with you, um, who voted for someone different, who disagree on all these public things that are out there now. We're all fighting on social media and all everywhere about these different things. Here's the second thing: is to own what is behind your response to others' political views. I can say it a different way: to take responsibility for what is underneath your response to another person's political views. I believe that response to another person's sin is never objective. I believe that response to someone else's sin is never objective. We are subjective, broken people. And so somehow our response to this has something to say about ourselves. Why is it we get so annoyed with this one view? It's this one thing. Listen, as someone who was raised by immigrants, I i am not white. I was raised in, you heard my stories last week with racism. Listen, naturally inclined. I don't like racist things that are happening in our nation. I can point the finger really, really well at that. But I want to be careful that there's reasons why I have such an emotional response to racism in our country, because I know what it's like to be be at the wrong end of that. I know it's like to be scared and to hide, and I think of my own kids. Listen, there is an emotional response. There's something underneath my response to that that I want to own. The freedom is in that thread. When you start pulling on that thread, now, why do I hate this so much? Why do I get so angry about this one thing? Why do I get so defensive? Why do I get so fearful that they're going to take this away or that away from me, my rights, my right to free speech? So what is at the bottom of that thread? I believe that it's the work of Christ that helps us to be free from those things that keep us attached to this world. That we can be free to be righteous and to love well and to love our enemies. As you begin to pull that that thread, you can lessen the bond, the hold that it has on you. Maybe even a miracle of lessening the reaction that you have towards someone of a different viewpoint that you could actually be in the same room together fear, anger, disgust. There's some things out there that are just frankly disgusting to me and to you too. But as far as of Jesus, we're called to consider the sin in our own eyes. We're called to know ourselves. We're called to bring ourselves humbly before a holy God and to see and be in this world full of brokenness and evil things. I'm going to guess that Uh, Many of you had to, I forget the word, hide or mute or unfriend or whatever, somebody on a social media thing you're in, right? Maybe it was a group chat or something you had to mute, you know, Uh, because you just can't read that stuff. And I'm saying to you, why? Because you're a champion of righteousness, okay? Great. But what's underneath that? Why can't you let it go? Why, Why do you have to fix that? What is it? there. Um, you know, it's like some of that stuff you can't read, but then, you know, we can do other things in our world that are in our lives, allow that other sin in our lives, right? Defensiveness is so interesting how uh, you don't even know why you're defensive. This is what I preach for years here. We want to be a people that's an aware people. Why am I so defensive? Why do I not? Why do I feel so uncomfortable around this person? Why do I got to put the guard up? And I'm not telling you to be vulnerable with everybody. That's impossible. I get that. But I'm asking you to be aware, to bring that to Jesus so he can heal you, so that you could do the, what the model of Jesus is, which is to be a vulnerable and sacrifice and be willing to do anything for God. Okay? I don't think you're called to fix the whole world. You're not even called to fix yourself. It's by the grace of Jesus that this happens. You're called to love Jesus so much that you would surrender your whole heart, your whole life, every reaction and action on the table so he can transform it. That is what we are called to do. That is uh, what God's asking us to do. And frankly, we just don't do it. It's so much easier to hide somebody on Facebook or to just avoid or to mute a chat or to just frankly point out something crazy that you think is crazy you're seeing on TV or something. Okay. here's the third thing. So first thing, reevaluate the priority of your political views in your relationship to God and others. Uh, Secondly, is to own what is behind or underneath your response to another person's political view. Just being aware of people. Uh, a response to sin is never really objective, okay? Um, here's a third thing, and also difficult to do, is I, I want you to reflect on how God is asking you to trust him. Okay? When you think about President Trump, when you think about President Biden, when you think about... You know whatever uh, higher taxes or or favoring the rich or i can just go on and on and go back and forth between these different views um you know it could even be you know with the pandemic and the response and how it's different along party lines i'm asking you church to reflect on how god is asking you to trust him here's why i'm asking you to do that in a in this current climate that we're in in our nation i want to go back to this core biblical thing, okay? In every generation, in every season, there are going to be challenges like this, church. We don't even know what's ahead. We can see what's been behind. There's always challenges to our faith. And and, and the challenge isn't just if we can be happy or not or comfortable or not in the nation or family in which we were born or in which we came to, uh, but rather, can we somehow trust God? When we can't see him. And this is a core biblical theme. And so I'm going to come back to this theme right here and right now in our political divide. What is God calling you or how is God calling you to trust him more? When God called a- Abraham, he said, you know, trust me, I'm going to make you father of many nations. Said, oh, I'm really old and I don't have a son. Okay. He said, I asked him to trust him. Okay. If you think about Uh, God leading the children of Israel and saving them from slavery and getting them into the desert. Well, this doesn't sound better. This doesn't feel better than Egypt. We at least got food. You know, this was comfortable in some ways, okay? Trust me. And he reveals himself as a provider and healer and their constant, faithful, uh, reliable uh, God. Uh, when they had kings and were a nation, same thing. Will you trust me? Will you trust not the number in your army, but you'll trust my faithfulness to you and my power and strength. See that? Trust is a biblical theme in the New Testament. We have to trust Jesus to save us, right? We have to trust in his work that this thing happened thousands of years ago. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. We have to trust this right? I have to trust that I'm a sinner, humbled in that. And I just have to trust someone else's work, right? I can't trust my own work for this. Trust is a biblical theme. Read Hebrews 11. Oh, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture, Hebrews 11. I read Hebrews 11, and then whatever I've been complaining about, I take it down a notch, you know? Uh, The heroes of our faith are those that are full of faith, trusting what they can't see. When you accepted Jesus at a young age, not knowing the temptations or trials of life that would be ahead. When you said I do at the altar, having no clue what it was going to be like. Uh, When you decided to have kids, no clue what that was going to be like. When you got up this morning and you had the same problems you had when you went to sleep last night. We are a people that trust God. And so here we are. um, Some hard things and we see suffering. We think it comes from the government can change it or they Cause to be, you see, our friends say these things are hurtful and mean, and I'm just asking you to come back to this church. Could you reflect a little bit, not just on right and wrong? Listen, we can go down the road of debate, okay? But I'm just telling you, as the people of God, we come back to this core value: How is God calling me to trust Him more? Maybe it's trusting you to give you. Maybe it's you trusting God to give you the strength to love someone so different from you. Oh my goodness, you got to trust God, church. Maybe it's trusting God to help you work through your disgust on their views and put it in a smaller jar in your life and not this big, all-consuming thing. For me, in 2004, you know what trusting God looked like? It was actually not voting in a presidential election and getting flack for that. Maybe it's trusting God with what you fear the most, your political views not being the predominant um view or empower um what if they do tax you more what if they do restrict your freedoms what if they do open the door to racism what if they do take your safety away i can go on and on and on trust god trust god what is god asking me to trust you with trust him with if you believe in jesus then you trust him scripture is pretty clear about that i'm asking you to ponder to reflect on what god could be challenging you to trust him One of the ways in which I was challenged last week was to trust God and talking about racism. I have never shared publicly those stories that I shared last week. You can probably see how uncomfortable I was. Uh, A lot easier for me to preach about the Bible than preach about my own pain and and talk about my own pain. Uh, I'm a people pleaser by nature and uh, it's like I don't like people disagreeing with me. I don't want to deal with that, so I just agree. I don't really ever talk about political views. I have to trust God and I'd actually have to trust the relationship I have with you and with others that is strong enough to hold that you would still love me if you found out what I really believed politically. OK. If you haven't put your politics on an altar altar, you've got some work to do. And church, as you do that, I'm going to trust where you land. But I want us as a, as a people of God uh, to really reevaluate their priority of political views in our life to own what is underneath your response to other person's political view and reflect on how God has asked you to trust him. I'm going to close today with prayer and then I'm going to have Nate come up and close us in worship. Here's this prayer. I said this to you, uh, I think on Easter a few weeks ago. It's this prayer I've been working on that has kind of like become my mantra. I want to pray this today. I actually hoping you can pray this I believe this prayer is a really great kind of model and example of walking with Jesus in a crazy political climate and all kinds of other things that are hard in your life, aside from the national things, you know. Here's the prayer, and I'm gonna pray it today. I'm gonna pray it twice. Jesus, I believe you are Lord of all, so I surrender my all. I give you my heart to shape and to mold to heal, just hold. I will stay near you with my soul. I believe you are alive. So I trust you today and hope for tomorrow. I'm gonna pray that again, church. If you want that prayer, text me, email me, I'll give it to you. I pray this like every day, guy. church. I mean, this is my prayer as a believer, not just as a pastor. Jesus, I believe you are Lord of all, so I surrender my all. I give you my heart to shape and to mold, to heal and to just hold. I I will stay near you with my soul. I believe you are alive, and so I trust you today, and I hope for tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite Nate to do our last closing song. Bless you, church. Love you much.